Greetings, everyone, and welcome to On Track, our podcast series on legal and business issues relating to the COVID pandemic and other emerging developments. I'm Gil Porter, a partner at Haynes & Boone and the chair of the firm's COVID-19 task force. In the wake of Russia's assault on Ukraine, there's been a lot of newly focused discussion on a well-established but perhaps not well-understood economic tool of diplomacy, sanctions. Today, our podcast will cover a general overview of economic sanctions from a U.S. and U.K. perspective, and then we're going to delve into some of the particulars of the sanctions that have been imposed on Russia. We're also going to look at the seeming impact that these sanctions have had on Russia and how they impact U.S. and U.K. companies that do business with Russian individuals and companies. For this purpose, we're joined by Ed Lebo, a counsel in our Washington, D.C. office. Ed advises domestic and foreign companies on international trade matters, including economic sanctions, export controls, anti-bribery issues, and Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. We're also joined by Andreas Draculis, a litigation partner in our London office, who's going to provide a UK perspective on the topic. Andreas advises clients in the energy, construction, and shipping sectors who are obviously impacted by this, these sanctions. We've asked Andreas to limit his comments to the UK regime for the sake of brevity, though he also does keep track of issues under the US sanction, EU sanctions regime. Sorry, The podcast will be moderated by Nathan Koppel, the firm's director of media relations. And before we get started, our disclaimer, the podcast is for informational purposes only, is not intended to be legal advice, and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. That's it for me now. I'll be chatting with you at the end, but uh, let's turn it over to Nathan. Gil, thank you very much. And Ed, Andreas, welcome aboard today. Uh, Ed, I'm going to start with you uh, first to give us some general context about economic sanctions from the U.S. perspective. So first off, what is the federal law that authorizes economic sanctions and, and what's the regulatory body that regulates it? Sure. Well, thank you. Thank you, Nathan. You know, the United States, like many countries, has got interests and sometimes those interests include coercing other countries, but it's not always possible to use military force uh, to coerce other countries. Certainly now when we're dealing with Russia, which uh, has a nuclear arsenal, uh, we have to be very careful what we do militarily. But the United States has had for many years in place something called the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, or IEPA, which uh, prohibits uh, direct and indirect transactions which could have uh, detriment on the United States or facilitation of those transactions. Uh, and that is the statute which basically undergirds uh, U.S. sanctions. The sanctions are administered in the Treasury Department by an office called the Office of Foreign Assets Control, known widely as OFAC. And over the years, we've seen comprehensive sanctions imposed by the United States. That's really like almost complete embargoes on Cuba, Iran, off, on, off, uh, North Korea, Syria, and also a host of more limited sanctions on countries such as Myanmar and Venezuela, where the sanctions are aimed at members of the government or the military. And particular individuals, uh, bad actors and terrorists can be named what are called specially designated nationals or SDNs. And they are subject personally uh, to very strict blocking of their assets, uh, inability to do business with U.S. persons and so forth. And how does OFAC's administration of sanctions differ from, from that of other regulatory agencies? 
Well, we like to think that other regulatory agencies in the U.S. are reasonably helpful and responsive to uh, uh, their publics. But OPAC has a very particular job, which in some ways is to be the cop and to be the tough guy. So that it's they're they're quite strict. And also, um, there's a certain vagueness to some of their uh, pronouncements, a lack of transparency. And this has a, a chilling effect on actors in the U.S. economy, where sometimes uh, U.S. persons and entities uh, restrict themselves even beyond what the sanctions were intended just to be safe. For example, there have been such terribly severe sanctions under uh, AIPA uh, and trading with the enemy and so forth on many international banking organizations that they are extremely rigid in their interpretation of sanction regulation and sometimes will uh, will impose strictures even tougher than the government itself had envisioned. And the government doesn't mind that at all. I mean, I guess in some instances, a, a target of sanctions could use vagueness to their to their their benefit. But here, that's not the case. If, if there's any doubt, you have to you have to comply, I suppose. Absolutely so. Andreas, is the situation similar in the UK in terms of sanctions? Uh, Nathan, yes. I mean, the um, the current uh, the current Russian uh, sanctions regime is is pretty far reaching from a UK perspective. I suspect that's the same for for you know most jurisdiction impo- jurisdictions imposing sanctions, um, and the goal really is to um, uh, you know, place Russia in uh, you know, economic isolation by a, a combination of the sanctions that the UK puts in place uh, alongside those uh, of the US and the, and the EU. And actually in, in the UK, uh, and this is probably similar in, in the US, we, we already had uh, sanctions in place against uh, Russia uh, following uh, Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014. Uh, and those were actually EU sanctions uh, that were effectively automatically applicable in the UK while it was a member of the EU. And they were then carried over into uh, into UK law after the UK's exit from the EU at the end of uh, 2020. Uh, and they're now set out in what's known as the, the Russia sanctions EU exit regulations. It's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, but those those regulations have now obviously been um, uh, developed uh, substantially following uh, Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine, and and the and the bodies which sort of oversee that and are involved with that include the uh, the Department for International Trade, the, the Department for, for Transport, and the and the Treasury um, through the, the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation. And uh, you know, I, I don't want to get too bogged down into the into the regulations themselves, but I think f- from a UK perspective, there's sort of two fronts t- to look at them, and it it's similar to to, to some of the concepts that, that Ed was just explaining there. But but it, you know, in, in sort of in the first place, we, we, you know, we have a regime where you could designate persons, um, uh, and then secondly, there were then specific uh, prohibitions or, or sanctions that that apply. And for the for the designated persons, um, you know, the the regula- regulations set out uh, provisions that allow certain people and entities uh, to be formally designated. 
uh, and they'll be uh, they'll be identified and designated on the basis that they're involved in uh, destabilizing Ukraine or, or obtaining a, a benefit from supporting the, the Russian government. Uh, and that's a bit of a summary. And, and so far in, in 2022, uh, I think there's over sort of a, a, a thousand uh, individuals, entities and, and businesses that have been uh, designated. And then obviously on top of that, we have the, uh, the actual prohibitions themselves you know, and they and they broadly impose uh, sanctions connected to financial issues, trade, transport, and also immigration. And they will apply to uh, either to particular entities listed in the regulations, uh, or in, in some cases to, to Russia as a whole. For example, that's the position for the for the trade sanctions. But others may only apply to uh, designated persons, and that's certainly the case. Uh, in respect of uh, the imposition of asset freezes, which are applicable to uh, designated persons. Okay, Ed, are we? Is it like? Are we like the UK here? Have we in the US? Have we had existing sanctions against Russia? And if so, how have they evolved since the invasion of, of Ukraine? Since the invasion of Crimea, uh, which was, I suppose, an invasion of Korea, uh, Ukraine at the time. Uh, in 2014, the U.S. has had more limited sanctions against Russia. We've uh, prohibited the extension of credit beyond a certain extent or certain duration to certain Russian banks. We've named uh, certain Russian oil companies to a list of, uh, of sectoral sanctions where U.S. companies could not provide uh, assistance with Arctic deep water or shale related uh production of oil. But that's gotten much broader now, of course, uh, since the invasion of Ukraine. The uh, regional sanctions have been expanded to cover the Luhansk and Donetsk regions of Ukraine. Uh, We've expanded the industry-specific sanctions, cut even tighter on the extension of credit. We've added additional uh, specific individuals to the SDN list, primarily uh, people uh, close to Putin, the Putin government, and a limited number of oligarchs. And rumors are outstanding that others will be added to that list. Uh, We prohibited trading in Russian sovereign debt so that Russia cannot take advantage of this uh, uh, fund it had developed to withstand sanctions. Uh, But it can't uh, turn its uh, dollar and euro and yen uh, accounts abroad uh, back into uh, rubles to deal with. And they can't can't refinance. Uh, We've limited the correspondent banking privileges for a number of Russian banks, including the Central Bank of Russia. The United States has banned energy purchases uh, from from Russia. And we've included uh, greatly tightened export controls, including uh, controls on foreign products incorporating certain U.S. uh, inputs and produced on certain U.S. machinery. The impact of all this has been to institute a sanctions regime, which is tighter and more severe and more all-encompassing than anything the United States has done previously. Yeah, it sounds like it covers almost everything. Um, Andreas, in in the UK, are are the UK sanctions, which you described a little bit earlier, are they similar in scope to what the EU is doing? Or if not, how do they differ? Sure. And and I think actually... uh, a good way to um, to look at this is maybe just in terms of, of an example, because there is there is alignment between 
the UK uh, and the EU, and in fact, also with, with some of the measures in the, in the US. Uh, and maybe just to, to pick up on, on some of the uh, specific uh, sanctions that Ed was talking about, um, and focusing a little bit on energy and trade, um, what, what the UK sanctions provide for is um, certain restrictions on, on, on trade, and, and, they, and they apply to, to Russia as a whole. So uh, designated persons aren't, aren't really relevant for uh, the trade sanctions element. Uh, and essentially, they, the trade sanctions apply to prohibit um, export of certain goods from the UK to, to Russia or uh, for use in, in Russia, or if you're, for example, supplying uh, from another country to Russia. And not surprisingly, uh, goods uh, include obviously military equipment and dual use equipment that can be used for military and non-military purposes. But it also, um, and of more interest for us, I think it applies to uh, the energy sector. So uh, certain energy related products uh, are are banned or prohibited from being exported and, and to ascertain what they are you need to carefully check your uh, your specification of goods that you're, you're supplying as against certain tariff codes set out in the regulations and then, and then also more, more recently uh, the, what's been imposed are uh, yeah, a prohibition on uh, critical industry goods and uh, these are essentially a fairly wide variety of, of generally high-tech goods and technology, uh, and they and they include uh, things like vessels uh, and, and marine systems uh, and engines uh, and that sort of thing. So, potentially quite quite a, applicable to uh, you know the energy and marine sectors. Uh, and the aim really is to is to target. Uh, the, the key industrial activities in, in, in Russia so that you make it difficult for uh, Russian entities in this space to obtain certain goods that it's going it, to, you know, they'll find difficult to obtain from anywhere else. And, and just to, just to come back to, to where you were, uh, what you were asking me, um, you know, the, the, the critical industry goods provision is something that is, I, I think is generally quite well aligned between the UK and the EU, uh, and also the, e, uh, the the US. So, um, you know, and that's uh, you know, that's something that um, you know you we're likely to see in in other areas, uh, uh, in other in other sanctions that are that are uh, set out in within the the UK and the and the EU. But that's I think a good example of of how um, the the UK and the EU are trying to align themselves to to target uh, Russia. Given the scope of the the sanctions that, that you both have described, I would think it'd be inordinately or incredibly hard for businesses to keep track of it and, and to comply. Which I guess is the idea of of, of this, or, or, or you know, to uh, let me let me rephrase that. Um, given the scope of sanctions that that you both have laid out, I would think it this makes it pretty uh, difficult for the U.S. for U.S. companies to be sure they're in compliance. Um, what are the greatest areas of uncertainty Ed, for U.S. businesses as they seek to comply? Well, one of the greatest areas of uncertainty is you don't necessarily know uh, which companies you're dealing with are SDNs because the United States has something called the fifty percent rule. Whereas it a company that's 50% owned by a sanctioned person is itself sanctioned. 
So that's, that's clearly a difficulty in compliance. Another difficulty is that uh, there are rumors that a number of well-known and, and, and often named uh, individuals, oligarchs, uh, will be named to the sanctioned list, but they haven't been named yet. Uh, so U.S. companies don't know quite what they can do with them or what they can not do with them without being in violation of their contractual agree agreements heretofore made with them. In, in that case, what, what does a company do if there's a rumor out there that someone may be sanctioned? What, 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 how would you advise that company to deal with that sort of situation? Well, I think, A, get as much information as possible. B, uh, if you're in a position where you might be having to extend credit or sell goods to a company you think is not going to be able to repay you, uh, delay as much as possible. Uh, and uh, then you have to make a judgment whether the risk of being sued by that company uh, in the short run or eventually how that weighs against the, uh, the certainty of not being able to collect your money if they, are, if they are sanctioned. And I suppose in the current environment, uh, a party that was po uh, potentially to be sanctioned might not find U.S. courts and U.S. juries the most hospitable environment for bringing uh, cases against U.S. companies that uh, that drag their feet about fulfilling contractual commitments. Uh, Andreas, I'm going to put that same uh, question to you. Uh, if how how would you think U.K. businesses respond to an issue where there's a, a Russian individual who's rumored to be sanctioned and uh, any any prohibitions on, on dealing biz, business with, with that sort of person? Yeah, I, I think um, the slightly annoying uh, lawyer's answer to that question is that, uh, unfortunately, it, it will depend upon how your contract is drafted. But, but probably just to take uh, a step back, um, I think what's important to remember here as well is that um, you know, one of the key uh, financial sanctions in the UK is the, the imposition of asset freezes on designated persons, as I was uh, discussing a little bit earlier. And that's actually quite wide ranging. And I think, I think UK uh, companies that are trading may not fully appreciate just how wide that is, because it, 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 will, it will bite where you have a contract for the supply of goods and services, no matter what they are. And there are some uh, exceptions. So, uh, you know, it is a it, it is a real issue uh, potentially if uh, if you're doing business with a sanctioned entity. But but there may be you know within the contract itself um, there may be provisions that that help you to deal with that eventuality. And uh, for example, a, a force majeure clause, or, or perhaps even. In more recent contracts, you, you, you probably see um, bespoke sanctions clauses, and they, depending on how they're worded, they may address the position where uh, the government has indicated that uh, sanctions will soon be put in place. But but equally, it might not. So um, you know you need to look at that wording carefully uh, as against the uh, the underlying fact pattern. Um, and, and just as as an aside, I mean I I had to look at a contract fairly recently um, where we were giving some sanctions advice and it did have a sanctions clause but but unfortunately what was a little bit unhelpful was that the the contract had been concluded uh, before the UK had uh, left the EU so um, 
the sanctions clause only referred to EU sanctions and US sanctions because you know at, at that time you know uh, the 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 EU sanctions would have automatically applied in, in the UK. So it was a little bit unhelpful that uh, there was no reference to UK sanctions. So, so that can be a you know a, a, a bit of a problem. And I think just one one more sort of related point to the to this, which I think uh, might actually be of assistance to uh, to entities trading in the UK, is that there are there are obviously exceptions within the the UK regulations, as I'm sure there are in, in the US as well. And uh, one of the one of the useful exceptions that that should be kept in mind is, is in relation to the uh, critical uh, industry goods that I, that I was explaining before, and, and that's one of the, the the prohibitions against trading in those sorts of goods has been recently introduced since the uh, invasion of, of Ukraine by Russia. Uh, but be, because uh, I think because it's been recently introduced, what, what the UK government has, has indicated, they, they haven't, so far as I can see, they haven't sort of confirmed this uh, this uh, this position for definite. But, but where you have a contract already in existence to supply those sorts of goods, and if it was concluded before the 1st of March 2022, then the uh, Department for International Trade may uh, grant a license to continue with the contract. But you would need to make that application before uh, before the first of May uh, this year. So there's a, only a short window to do that. And, and so far as I can see, it's not even um, certain that you will get the license. But you know there are there are options there to explore. Do you think uh, these sanctions have been effective? Have they achieved their desired goal? Or too early to know. Too early to know. I think a lot will depend on the reaction in the United States to uh, the, ch- the overall long-term impact, for example, on increasing inflation. Uh, it will depend on whether China uh, provides a backdoor for the Russians and a, a market for their energy. Uh, it will depend on how the Europeans react to any cutbacks on their purchases of Russian energy. Uh, it really it's it's going to depend on how this unusually strong coalition holds together over time as the sanctions have a bit of a, of a rebound effect on the publics in the countries that have uh, imposed the sanctions. But so far, uh, pu- public opinion polls, for example, in the United States show very strong support for the sanctions, and uh, there hasn't been uh, much uh, grousing about uh, about the impact. Uh, but again, the, Euro- the United States is not very vulnerable to trade with Russia as compared to uh, compared to uh, the degree that Europe is. If, for example, China were to invade Taiwan and the US were to impose sanctions, the impact on the United States would be much, much greater because we have so much manufacturing in China and we have uh, so many of the products we depend on in our daily lives are coming out of China. Well, any uh, any other parting thoughts, Ed, before we sign off? And Andreas, anything you'd, you'd like to add? I, I would just say to, uh, to, to you know, UK entities uh, you know, operating in the energy sector or generally uh, with the potential to, to have business that intersects with, with Russia, they, they really need to uh, you know, think carefully about uh, the contractual arrangements they have in place because the you know the, the regulations are complicated um, you know they've, they've only recently been updated and they are 
you know, as Ed and I have have said, you know, they're they're very stringent, the most stringent sanctions we've we've seen in a while, and uh, you know, there go there are likely to be issues that arise where, uh, you know, for example, uh, goods, let's say, are being supplied to an entity that's not in Russia, but perhaps the end user is going to be in Russia, and and indeed, you know, I. I I've had inquiries from UK companies where the uh, a Russian entity they were doing business with was was looking to offload goods actually to a Chinese entity precisely because of the UK sanctions position and you know those sorts of factual scenarios are quite complicated and to understand you know where you stand and if you are potentially going to be in breach of the, the, the sanctions is something you need to think about carefully and, and get um, specialist legal advice upon. Um, from the point of view of a US company, I think uh, perhaps the most important thing to do is if you have any outstanding debts uh, from a non-sanctioned Russian company, uh, collect them, uh, especially if you can find a, a bank that uh, is willing to handle the transaction and your uh, a creditor can get dollars, which are harder and harder to get in, in Russia. Make sure your compliance system is up to date. Uh, make sure you know your, who uh, you're dealing with, if you can. Uh, uh, if you're an exporter, take care that your exports aren't susceptible to diversion to Russia. And take advantage of the OFAC uh, online sanction screening tool and the comprehensive US government screening tool for exports uh, so that you can be as informed as possible about uh, whether a particular company is subject to sanctions. And when you say who know who you're dealing with, and Andreas touched on that, it sounds like, what does that involve? This is not a see no evil, hear no evil kind of regime. It sounds like businesses really have to ask questions. Absolutely. You can't uh, just have a willful ignorance is, 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 is not uh, protective, especially when dealing with uh, uh, OFAC, which is uh, quite strict in its uh, compliance. Well, thank you very much, Ed. Thanks, Andreas. And with that, Gil, I will turn it back to you. Well, thank you very much, Ed, Andreas, and of course, Nathan. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining on us. Th joining us. This is a very interesting topic because it's fairly dynamic. I wouldn't be surprised if we have to come back to this. It's also an unusual situation where our foreign policy has pretty direct impact on how we have to do business ourselves here in the country. And uh, I think I would underscore the point made by both of our speakers that this is not something that one should treat as business as usual and it's okay to make a mistake. This is one where you really are responsible to be tracking your conduct. Uh, so please, if you have questions, consult the lawyer on this. Uh, we may come back to this, but we have other topics of interest coming up as well, including uh, proposed topics on blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, and other matters. So please keep following our articles, webinars, and of course, our podcasts. And until then, be well and stay safe.